Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I sit down with Daniel Silk, who is the host of the Life Changes You podcast. Uh, Daniel shares his story about adversity and you know, uh, dealing with fibromyalgia and how he's been able to battle through this condition and maintain a positive mindset. Daniel and I also talk about what are the things we can do to change our mindset and deal with adversity. I really hope you can get a lot out of this episode. And if at the end you could leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Daniel, thank you for uh, joining the Easy Conversations podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Super grateful for us to be able to connect and have this conversation. Uh, before we get started, I just want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, some of the work you're doing, and then maybe even touch on the podcast you have. Um, and then we'll kind of get into our, our conversation from there. Okay. Yep. No worries. So I'm based in Australia, Melbourne. And um... I'm trained as a counsellor and I'm also trained in disability. So I run my own business, which is helping people with a disability, learning how to communicate in a better way so that they get their needs and wants addressed and so that they can also learn to stand up for what they want and sort of advocate for themselves. And the offshoot of that also is that I want them to have a connection of friends that so when parents pass on brothers, sisters, they still have connections that are valued and valid rather than um, just being put into say a group home where they don't know anyone and then they don't have any more contact with anyone that knows their story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that for the last two years. And um, yeah, and I also run a podcast called Life Changes You. And that's been running since November, 2019. Um, we've had a couple of breaks last year due to COVID where um, we couldn't get guests on because of either everybody crashing the internet so there was no bandwidth left to actually speak to anyone or otherwise they had their own dramas and concerns that they needed to work on. So, uh, yeah, last year was pretty full on, I think, for everybody around the world. But, um, yeah, so I do I do a lot of conversations with people about what inspires them in their life, how they inspire people. Um, A lot of people on there, uh, and I use this in a broad term, are normal people. They're all people who have done great things or, but, but they're the normal everyday people that you don't really hear their stories. And I think that's important because we can learn a lot from those around us. Um, I mean, I know I've been influenced by a lot of people I hang around with in my circle and who I've met through my life. So uh, yeah, so we have conversations. I do talks. I generally don't do as many talks as I used to because I find I don't have time to sit down and write something that I want to talk about. Um, and yes, it is a lot easier to get someone on and then just let them talk and you just go, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, I, I love that I became a counsellor um, and I love the work I do. It's uh, It doesn't feel like, look, some days it does feel like I'm getting up and having to go to work most days I just can't wait to get in and see what we can do for the day yeah no no and that's amazing and I think uh you know you touched on normal people's stories and that's kind of the platform I've 
been wanting to create as well. Uh, I was inspired about uh, through just meeting uh, people in everyday life and hearing their story of uh, adversity and being inspired. And I, you know, kind of the same idea. How can I share those stories? And that's kind of the the inspiration behind my podcast is being able to share everyone's story that, like you said, you may not hear about otherwise, or it's not publicized or the, doesn't get enough media attention nice. because, because they're just regular people like everyone else who are struggling and, and fighting their way through uh, their everyday struggles. So that's kind of the goal of my podcast as well. Um, I'm also training to become a counselor uh, part-time. Uh, doing school and stuff like that in psychology. So yeah, uh, I think it's amazing. And and one of the things what inspired me to reach out to you. So, you know, I fully appreciate you have your own podcast with your guests, but today, you know, it's your turn to talk. I know, first time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, I really want to hear your story and and kind of talk about, you know, the adversity you've been able to deal with and and the work you're doing uh, every day to, to kind of, you know, motivate yourself and, and deal with those struggles. Okay, well, look, um, I'll start up until I was around 39. I worked like a bull, like I would work 13 hour days, five days a week. Um, on the weekends, I would be out with friends, family, and pretty much I never stopped. I never took any time off sick. I hardly took holidays because I just liked working. Um, and then I got, first of all, I got a thyroid disease, which is called Hashimoto's, which means that your thyroid is underactive. I started putting on all this weight. I started getting cramps in my hands, in my legs. Um, and my doctor said, oh, you just need to exercise more. And I said, well, look, I'm exercising. I'm working nonstop. I'm on my feet all day long. I don't stop. Uh, so we did some tests. I found that I had the thyroid disease and he said, look, just take this tablet every day, you'll feel better. Well, after a few months of taking it, I didn't feel any better. I still felt terrible. I just was losing energy. Then I started getting a bad stomach and I thought it was the medication. So they went and did tests and they found out I had celiac disease. So this was six months after I had, was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease. And before this, I'd hardly ever had a day off sick. When I was younger, I had appendicitis, but that was it. Mm -hmm. So life was looking really good. And then three months after that, I started feeling really, really tired. Like I just wake up in the morning. I didn't want to go to work. Um, My brain was all foggy. And I just didn't understand why I was feeling so unwell. So I went to different specialists. And in the end, they said, look, you've got chronic fatigue syndrome. You're just exhausted. You need time off. So I took, I started off taking two weeks off work which for me, as I said, I don't take holidays. So two weeks was really hard. But those two weeks I slept. They did a test for glandular fever. No, I don't have that. After six weeks of being like sleeping 24 hours a day, not being able to get out of bed. If I did get out of bed, I'd walk to the couch. I'd have something to eat and I'd be asleep again. And so after, yeah, after six weeks, I was still off work. It ended up being 12 weeks off work. And I just didn't know what was going on. I actually thought at at some points I was dying because the, 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 can't think of the word, lethargic, yeah. Um, It was just so intense. And people would say to me, oh, if you just go back to work, you'll feel so much better. 
And I said, if I could get off the couch, I would, but I just, my alarm goes off. I wake up, I go to the toilet, I have a drink. I have to go back to bed. I just can't stay awake. So anyway, this went on for three months. At the end of the three months, and just tell me if I'm boring you, because no, no, story. no, no, <laughs> so I mean, three months. <laughs> yeah, after three months, yeah, after three months, I decided, look, I have to do something. So what I did was a lounge room and look, I'm no good with measurements. So I can't tell you how big the lounge room was, but it wasn't very large. You had a three piece suite in a TV coffee table. Um, I decided, look, I'm going to vacuum the floor. And so I vacuumed a quarter of the floor and then I had to lay down and go to sleep for two hours. Then I vacuumed the next part. So I did it in quarters. And by the end of the day, I'd vacuumed the lounge room. Now, usually I would vacuum the whole house in about 20 minutes. So to do the lounge room was like, it was, it was almost like, wow, I've achieved something today. Mm -hmm. And gradually each day I built on those things. So it was, it's a long process. And, you know, everybody's different with chronic fatigue. Um, uh, also, at the end of those three months, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia as well, because I had constant pain everywhere. So my fingers would feel, oh, you, you, you can't explain the pain. And nowadays, I've learned to live without any pain medication, because the pain medication will either knock me out and I'll fall asleep for 24 hours, um, or I will just be throwing like that and I wouldn't be able to talk. So to me, it was more important to have a life that I could live than to and put up with pain and learn to live with that than to, than to take the medication and really not be able to do much. I mean, they put me on so many different medications. When I first got sick, I was on antidepressants, anti-anxiety, pain relief. Um, the one that... Um, the one that was out, I can't remember what it's called, the one they used for malaria that they were all touting was the next cure to COVID. And that actually did take my pain away. However, I live in Australia where for at least six months of the year, you've got hot weather and I couldn't go out in the sun. If I was in the sun for more than a minute, I'd be burnt red raw. And that took me two years to get that out of my system. So it's only been recently, and if you if people could see me, they'd say, oh, wow, you're really pale. But I couldn't go out in the sun because I would just burn. So that was the story up to when I got fibromyalgia. And, yeah, having a shower, it felt like someone was dropping a lot of pins into your head. Like the water that usually relaxes you and makes you feel calm and great was agonising. And there was nowhere, no, nothing you could do. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't lay down. Any way you sat, laid, anything, you still had pain. And it's in your calves, in your arms. I mean, I used to, when I was around 30, I took up gym and used a fitness diet and I looked pretty good. Now I've put on quite a lot of weight, but that is okay with me because I'm fully functioning and I'm managing, I'm managing more now which is probably a silly thing because people say to me, are you going to head for another bout of chronic fatigue? And look, I might, but I, I can't afford to give up and then just go backwards. I had five days off recently over Easter. And by the fourth day, I was laying on the couch, fuzzy head again, like, oh, I don't want to do anything. And for me, if I stop, I feel like the fibromyalgia starts to take hold. So if I take a holiday, it's an active holiday. It's not one where I just relax because I can't afford to go backwards. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's 
a tough story, uh, you know, and what I appreciate is the fact that you, you've recognized that, you know, you're okay with the way things are, but what the one thing you're not willing to compromise is on your, your functionality, right? You want to be able to still function and do the things you enjoy doing in life. Um, so when you were going through all of that and trying to figure out what's going on, like, what was that like from a mental health perspective? Like, it could be agonizing just in the sense of not knowing what was happening and, and being able to, you know, push yourself to get up every morning. Well, I think the worst part about that was that I would see, and, and I had a, a GP who was a specialist in chronic fatigue, and I would go and see him. And, and the first time I saw him, I was with him for 90 minutes, and he wrote eight pages of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this list and get everything done and see what it is. And at first they found my sinuses were compacted. So I went and had nasal surgery where they cleared all my sinuses out. You're going to feel a lot better after this. Well, I did for about two weeks. Then it continued back on. And the mental health aspect is because you don't know what it is. And every specialist you saw said, well, we've tested you for all of this and none of that. You haven't got any of that. So it must be fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. But the mental part is that you still don't know what's wrong with you. You can't understand how people of your same age group are out having so much fun and going to dinners and stuff. And like, I mean, look, when I finish work in the evening, I don't do a lot. I go home and I relax because if I don't, then I know the next day I'm going to have a payoff where I'm going to feel more tired. But yeah, you do feel depressed and it's, it's mainly a depression of not knowing what's wrong with me. Am I going to die? Am I okay? How do I get through this? And so you have to work on that each day. And some days I'll wake up and think, oh God, how do I get through today? And after the first five minutes, you get up, you have a coffee, you have some breakfast, you have a shower, and then you start going, okay, I feel all right today. I think I'm going to be able to do this. And then you just get on and do it because I know if I stay in, have a day off, I'm going to go backwards. I do have days where I'll have two or three days in a row where I have to take like a mini break where I just sleep for three days. Um, and people say, how do you sleep for 24 hours a day? And I go, look, you don't even realize you're doing it. After three days, you wake up and you start to feel good again. So I call that my repair cycle. You know, it's almost like taking your car to the garage. I need that three days, probably every six months to just recharge my batteries and feel better about what I'm doing, where I'm going. Um, and you can have days where I, like I'm a big believer in lists because my brain, I don't remember as much as I used to. I'm still pretty spot on with what I need to do, but it's the things for that day. Anything that I need to do in the future, I need to write it down. Um, but mental health with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue is a really hard one for people. And look, I'm not saying that what I do is a fix for everybody because it's probably not. And some people prefer medication. I chose not to because... I couldn't function on the medication and I was getting side effects off those medications, which were causing more issues than not having anything at all. And occasionally I will take a painkiller if I'm in really bad pain, but I need to know then that I've got a, a day off the next day to get over it because I need to be back in the studio working with people with um, an intellectual disability and, and all mental health issues. And I need to be on the ball. I can't be groggy because I don't know what they're going to be needing. So, yeah, mental health is the hardest thing. 
Um, but if you've seen my stuff on Instagram, you know, I actually believe everything I put up now. Whereas when I first started, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good quote. Oh, yeah, I thought of this. And now I read them each day as I'm putting them up or as I'm writing them. And I think, wow, actually, that's really good. How did I think of that? Well, because your brain is now changing. And this is what I say to people about having negative thoughts. Negative thoughts, the more you think, like I was thinking when I was really ill, oh God, I feel so ill. Oh God, the pain. Oh God, oh God, you know, all oh, this hurts. Oh, I can't do this. You're telling yourself, I can't do it. But when you change that around and go, I have to do this, I have to move on, I have to try something, you find that that actually changes you. And you do feel more positive and you do have a brighter outlook. And it's not to say I'm happy jumping around all day long because I'm not. And there's some days if you saw me in the studio, because I've also got a, a really bad back injury and I'll be walking like I'm 90. But then other days when I'm doing an online Zoom disco for people with an intellectual disability, I'm bouncing around as I'm 20. So it's how you look at life in perspective and what you think you can achieve. And by that, I mean... The more you think you can achieve, the more you'll achieve. The less you think you'll achieve, the less you'll achieve. And I don't think people actually really get a grasp on that. You know, I think they, they go, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad day and I can't cope with this and I can't cope with that. And there's lots of things that we can't cope with at that time, but we can move on from them if we want to. And if we, we might need some help from someone, a therapist, a friend, a family member, but we can always get through. It's, it's amazing how resilient our brains are and our bodies are. Like I lost my dad five weeks ago and I'm, I'm still coming to terms with it, but I had to realize that I still have a job I have to do. I still have people that rely on me and I can't just go, okay, so that's it. I'm going to be in mourning for three months. And some people might say that's what they do and that's okay. But for me, I knew I had to be back at work. I had to keep doing my podcasts. Um, I have to help my mum who's in her 80s. Um, so it's a matter of working out in your brain how you, can, how you can fix these things and how you can manage them and then still have time to grieve. Um, and I'm waffling, so I'm going to let you speak. No, no. Uh, first of all, you know, uh, condolences and, you know, uh, about your father. And sorry to hear that. Um, you know, I think the, the thing you're touching on is really our mindset, right? And that's yeah. one of the things I try to preach as well is it's um, if you have that mindset shift, you can get through things, right? And and that doesn't mean you don't grieve or you don't um suffer I think that's the normal process like it is okay to suffer and grieve but it's also your responsibility to pull yourself out to drag yourself out of it and and by uh, one of the things I try to focus on whether it's myself or other people is setting short-term goals and putting timelines right uh, like you said mourning can be for some people they may need three months uh, or some people it's less but you need to be able to put a timeline on it um, and at the same time, hold yourself accountable because the only person that's going to get you out of it is yourself, uh, yep. along the way, like you said, you can ask for help, whether it's friends, family, therapists, but ultimately it's still your responsibility, you know, going to see a therapist. Yeah, that's great. They can help you with some tools. They can listen to you. Uh, the same thing with friends and family, they're there to listen, but ultimately the, you know, the balls in your court. Um, and if you don't pick up the pieces and you don't change your mindset, 
unfortunately, there's not much else anyone else can do for you. Um, It's all within your control. And, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it word for word, but Maya Angelou had this quote that, you know, you can't control the, the circumstances or the situations that happen to you, but you can control not to be reduced by them. Right. And exactly. And, and that's, look, you know, I've studied the grieving process through my uh, uh, bachelor of counseling. And when my sister and my mum were more upset than me, I sort of felt like I was there to help them. And then I'd go home and I'd think, well, I haven't done this step and I haven't done that step. And I thought, well, maybe look, because my dad was 84 and it doesn't mean I miss him less, but maybe I had adjusted to the fact that he was going to pass on. And I have some great memories of him and I think about him every day. Um, And I think a lot of people feel that they have to cry to show that they've grieved. Whereas you can grieve without crying. And that doesn't mean you're any lesser or any different. It just means that we all handle things differently. And the way our brain processes it is the way it processes it. There's no right or wrong way. I mean, yeah, we can look at the grief process and we can look at a different process in grief and we can say, well, I didn't do that and I didn't do that. But that is also someone's opinion as a psychologist, psychiatrist, who's come up with that formulation. Um, and we might be sitting on the verge of creating a new um, a new process because this is the process we went through. And that could be something that people then go, oh, wow, I actually didn't realise I didn't have to cry, that I could still get through this and that that's okay. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And I think one of the important things you've touched on is everyone's process and the way they deal with things is different. And there's not what I found um, is there's no one way of doing it, right? And you can help people add tools to their tool belt, um, but often, you know, it's like your own tool belt. You're not gonna use every tool there. You're gonna use the one that you're used to or the one that works the best for you, right? The one you have experience with. And that's kind of at least the way I look at it. Um, I guess from, from where you are now, and in terms of the work you're doing, like, how are you able to like, I know you've talked about it a little bit, but able to like, keep that mindset of, okay, you know what? Um, yeah, these are my circumstances. Um, I, I can control my health to a certain extent, but how do you keep yourself going and be able to still do the work you're doing? Um, I know you touched on the fact that, you know, you've, you, you know you have to help people and you know you have your own podcast but even with that it it can be tough at times when you know you're just feeling weak or or in a lot of pain um what are some of the things you tell yourself to be able to get through well look with my dad when he passed away he passed away on a tuesday and so i took that day off work and then on the wednesday i thought i need to go in and see the guys that I've worked with, like my participants, because they'll know that dad's passed away and I don't know how they're feeling. So I came in and I spent an hour and a half here and we laughed and joked and we played games. And these are high functioning people with intellectual disability, like they're, they're all verbal. Um, and the empathy that came from them um, I guess it was astonishing, but not 
not as much from my point of view, but if you were to come in, you would have gone, wow, I didn't realize how deeply some of the, some people with intellectual disability can empathize, you know, and sympathize. And it was incredible to see. And what keeps me going is the vibe I get from other people. <clears throat> Not everybody's vibe is good. And you can feel that when you walk into a room, if you feel someone's a bit negative or they're feeling a bit down, it changes the energy. But in this sort of job, it's, it, that's what keeps me going is that I know what the participants are doing, what they like, um, how I interact with them, how we're making small changes. And look, also, I think the best thing being here is because these guys say, I've got a disability. And I say, I've got a disability too, but mine are health issues. So we both have disabilities and we don't look at it as a teacher student. We look at it that we're all learning off each other. So I can learn amazing things from these guys that come here. And some days I'm amazed at the things I do learn. Um, and their parents will say, oh, they've learned stuff from you. And I say, yeah, I learned so much from them. And they go, oh, what do you learn? And I go, I don't know, just little bits and pieces, the way they talk, um, the things they talk about, the things they're excited about. You know, they are, they are the same as us. There's no difference. Um, I, I think some people still sort of think in the mindset of, probably in, and look, I was only young in the 70s, so I wasn't like old in the 70s. But I think in the 70s, people with a disability were more people to be feared of and to be locked away. And um, and look, there are, there are people with an intellectual disability who do have extreme behaviour issues, but then we have other people in the community that have those sort of things. And it doesn't mean we lock them away. It means we learn to work on their behaviours and what they're trying to communicate. If they're non-verbal, it's a lot harder but they're trying to get something across. It's not like they're just out there to hurt someone. They want something, they need something. And by just locking them up and going, oh, they're mad, you know, they, they beat someone up. They're not mad. They might've beat that person up because the person spoke to them in a way that they didn't understand. So once we learn communication, we, we can deal with a lot more things a lot quicker. And it's just tapping into what their communication style is so that then we can create better things for them. Life is too hard on everybody if we sit in that mindset. Mm. If we all sit in the mindset of who can I help today? What can I do today? We can all do something small for someone else, which we don't really even realize we're doing. And it could be picking someone's basket up in the shopping center, who's an older lady or an older man and putting it up for them and saying, how's your day? You might be the only person they speak to that day, that week, that month, you know? So to have a bit of interaction and they might speak to you for five minutes and you might come away going, oh, I didn't have that five minutes. But for them, that was five minutes that they wouldn't get, you know? So we all need to slow down a little bit. And I love podcasts and I love um, uh, mentors that tell us that we have to do this and we have to do that, blah, 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 blah. Some days I need to listen to that, but that's not, where we need to be. We need to be in, yes, a bit of that, but a lot more compassion and a lot more empathy for those around us. And we'll mm -hmm. see the world change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things, uh, at least, you know, ha having to go through adversity myself, it did humble me in the sense that you start recognizing that, you know, 
there are people all around you that are struggling in different ways, like we touched on. And, and it's important to have that compassion because you don't know what they're going through. And maybe from your perspective, you know, there may be going through something small, whether it's the childbirth or losing their job. And from your perspective, it's like, well, that's not a big deal. I've just gone through something major, but it's all relative. And for them, that's probably the worst thing that's going on in their life. And if we don't have compassion and empathy for each other, we're not going to be able to help each other. And, and even, like you said, even if it's one person that we can impact or touch, we're making a change in this world because by Definitely. just speaking to that one person or asking them how their day's going, we've probably, you know, lightened up their day and they're going to be happy for the rest of the day or, or the week, whatever it is. But it's because of or something. they might hold on to that interaction. And when they're having a bad day, think, well, it's not that bad. I spoke to that person mm -hmm. the other day and they really cheered me up and made me feel better about myself. Because it's also showing people that they're valued in, in the society, in the community. And a lot of people, as they, especially older people in their 70s, 80s, they feel like they've got nothing to share anymore. And they've got so many stories to share. I used to work in aged care and the stories I would hear every day were amazing. Some were sad, some were happy, some were courageous, you know, and those stories, unless they're retold, what have we got? What have we got to share to people? You know, everybody has their story and everybody's story is relevant and everybody's story should be valued. And I know, as you're saying, like I'm saying, you know, sometimes we don't have time for things, but what I get from some of the parents here is, they didn't realize how much their son or daughter knew about an issue because they, you know, they come home from work and the parent says, what do you want for dinner? Here's your dinner. What do you want to do tonight? Yeah, there's a movie. I go to bed. Whereas because we're here and we're working on communication, we're learning all these things. We say, oh, well, so-and-so spoke about, you know, the new prime minister and blah, blah, blah. And they went, wow, I didn't even realize they knew that. No, because you're so busy that you're not taking the time to sit down and say something different, which is going to open their mind up and let them start bringing new things in. We can all take on new information and we can all process it. We might process it in completely different ways. Someone with an intellectual disability might just remember the name of the prime minister and that they come from Australia or Canada. However, they've learned something by remembering that. And that's great to have one more bit of information, then they might share that with someone else. So if we're all sharing information, and that's what's so great about podcasts nowadays, is we can all come on, we can all talk about things, excuse me, and hopefully people take one nugget of information from that and go, wow, I can use that now in my life. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, things that have motivated me or encouraged me about continuing to do this podcast, which just ha started off as like, uh, you know, more of a hobby, but now it's become something like I actually enjoy doing because not only am I meeting amazing people like yourself, but it's, it's the people that listen and my friends or even strangers that have reached out to me saying, you know, I took this one piece of information and it's helped me or just hearing this person's story has empowered me uh, and, or inspired me to keep working and, and facing adversity and getting through my issues. So like you said, it's really important. And one of the other things you touched on was slowing things down. And, you know, as much as, you know, as we started the podcast, you, you mentioned the pandemic and as much as it's been difficult on people, uh, myself included, you know, like the lockdowns and, and not being able to see friends or family or not being able to live my life normally. I think one of the 
biggest things that I've appreciated about the pandemic is, has been uh, the opportunity to slow things down. And that's just having that space where things are just slow. Um, it has given me so much opportunity to look at other things and appreciate the smaller things in life that I necessarily wasn't doing before. Um, so, you know, there's something to be said about slowing things down and, and just looking around you and, and appreciating everything else that's going on that we lose focus of because we're just going full speed at everything. Yeah, we are. Yeah, look, my sister passed away when I was 34. So quite a few years ago, 16 years ago, and she had breast cancer. And I had never really thought of what she said in, in really a, an important way. And I took her shopping and she walked really slowly because obviously she wasn't, she was probably in the last three months, but she was still trying to keep going. And she said to me, do you know what today? She said, I walked up the street and back again. And I went, wow, that's really good. And she said, well, I only really got to the third or fourth house because they had flowers in the garden and I stopped and I smelt them. And I went, oh, and she went, well, you know, the saying stop and smell the roses. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I finally did. She said, cause now I know I've got time. And if I don't do it today, when am I going to do it? Because she knew she wasn't going to be around. And that's what I mean by slowing down. There are so many things going on around us that we're missing because we're thinking about, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to get there. Oh, I have to have dinner with this person. And sometimes, I mean, I spend a lot of time on my own. When I finish work, I go home, I go and visit my mum on my way home. Then I'll get home. I might watch a bit of TV, listen to a podcast, write a podcast, read a book. But I actually enjoy my own quietness. And I have a dog and lay on the couch with her. And that to me is a blissful way to end the day. Um, and I do have friends who are always out and about. And that's great. That's what they want to do. I, I'm interacting with people from when they get here in the morning at half past eight, nine o'clock, right through to when they leave at 3.30. And if we've got an after program on, which might be a pub dinner or um, a disco that we have in the studio, then I'm working till 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Um, and for me, having that time to process what's happened through the day, reflect on what's happened over the last few days is important. And also conversations you've had with people oh did they say this you know but it's also coming down to learning counseling psychology you sometimes when you're talking to people you might miss something that they said during the day and you'll go oh actually they said that I wonder if they're okay about that and I was going to pick up on another point that we were saying before is that what I, I read a quote the other day on Instagram and it was something similar to uh, psychologists and counsellors will never give you a negative answer because they'll always see a reason to why something happened. And I realised that my studies were really cementing in my brain when uh, someone drove in front of me and cut me off and the passenger in the car went, oh, my God, aren't you going to toot at them? And I went, I don't know what's happened to them this morning. They could have had an emergency with a child they could have had a loved one die. They could be running late for work. Does it really matter? Oh, well, they can't do that. And I go, well, they have done it. 
So there's nothing I can do about it. I can scream and shout at them, but that's not going to stop them. They've gone now. So why don't I just let it be and realize that I don't know what's going on in their life. They could just be an asshole, but mm -hmm. we hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and and your reaction doesn't change the fact that they cut you off, right? And that's no. how I started looking at it is like, if I'm going to pull up next to this guy and flip them the finger or, you know, scream at them, it doesn't change what happened. And it just makes me look stupid because I'm potentially overreacting. And in the scenario where something bad did happen to them, I look even worse, right? So Yeah, and yeah. you're only increasing your anger by doing anything to them because then you're heightening yourself, which really, what's it going to get you? They're going to mm -hmm. drive off. You're still going to be sitting there and then you might start to uh, dwell on it. Like, why did they do that? Oh, I hate that. That's going to wreck your whole day because you're worried about someone who drove in front of you. Whereas who cares? It's the same as people who say, oh, I can't go and do this because, you know, what will people think of me? 99% of the people that you're going to have an interaction with during the day don't give a damn about what you're doing because they're worried about their lives. And if you're walking along and you've got a bit of a limp because you've got a bad foot, who cares? Get out there and have that limp and do what you need to do because those people probably won't even notice your limp, but you're walking along going, oh, my God, they can see I've got a limp. No, they can't. They're busy thinking about they've got to do the shopping, get the TV show recorded tonight, talk to their husband or wife. And, you know, it's, it's crazy how we construct things in our brain that aren't even there, but we do. And yeah. I've learned with my training not to over catastrophize everything. And when I find someone that is, I go, Oh God, you're over catastrophizing. They're like, what do you mean? I go, well, you're just thinking of scenarios that haven't even happened and you're creating them into your reality. And in reality, they're not even your reality because they're not there. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I mean, as harsh as it sounds, like majority of people are so over consumed with themselves that they're not really worried about what you're doing or saying, like you just, no. you let them be. Um, and I guess one of the other things we, we talked about taking that space to reflect, as you do at night, um, I think most people, at least what I've come across is they're too afraid to sit in silence or be alone with their thoughts, because they're worried about you know, and that's where real honest things come to you, right? When you're reflecting, it's, yeah. it's the thoughts that you've been avoiding all day or for months. And that's when you sit in silence and in that space is when those thoughts come to you. And, and I think most people are afraid to face those thoughts because of what they may learn about themselves. So they're exactly. better off just avoiding. And, and I think that's important to, you know, the sooner you accept those thoughts, the better. Look, I don't know if you've seen it, but I, I was just looking up on my wall. There's a picture of a man walking. He's walking through a park with his little dog and they've got two thought bubbles. And over the man's one, it says mind full. And it's thinking about everything during the day. And next to the little dog, it's got the dog just walking along and it's got the same image as is in front of him, the trees and the sun. And I have that above my desk because I think we can all have a mind full but when we are mindful, we actually explore what's going on around us at that moment. And that's a great place to be. That was one of the other things when I was sick, I would start going for a walk and I, I was walking up to five kilometers in the end, but in the beginning, it was like, I could only walk five minutes. But as I did, I'd listen to the birds, dogs barking, people talking, the wind in the trees. And it brought me into reality and to this is what is now, and this is what I need to do. No, that's amazing. And Daniel, I want to 
thank you for coming on here, sharing your story and imparting so much wisdom. And at the same time, I just love your energy, uh, you know, and, and the wisdom you've shared. So thank you so much. Um, super. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. And look, considering it was my first one and I don't generally do podcasts for other people, not that I don't want to, but I just feel like, what do people want to hear about me for? You know, if they want to hear about me, they can hear me on my podcast. And sometimes that's why I let the guests do all the talking so they don't have to listen to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you've got to, uh, you know, like I said, everyone's got a story and, and yours is also very inspirational and I hope people can learn a lot. So, you know, again, I'm super grateful for meeting you and having this opportunity. Um, I guess for people that want to find you, whether it's social media or online or get a hold of you, speak to you, what are some of the ways they can do that? Um, so the podcast is Life Changes You. It's on Apple and um, Android, Google. I'm on about 15 different podcast platforms, so you can you should be able to find me. Um, I've also got a website, which is Love, Cha Love Changes You. Lifechangesyou.com.au. And I'm on Instagram at Life Change. Uh, at life underscore changes you underscore podcast. So I'm a bit everywhere, but that's okay. You either yeah. like me or you don't, but <laughs> it's all going to be positive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thank you again. You know, thanks for that's doing fine. this. That's fine. It was a really good conversation. Thank you. I hope I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That's where the guests come in and talk, right? So yeah. thanks again. <laughs> no worries. Thank you. Well, that's the end of the episode. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, please leave a five-star review. And until next week.